Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy word. Lord, would the next few moments be holy for all who hear these words and the counsel of your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 71% of the earth's surface is water. 96.5% of the water on the earth is found in the oceans. And that's why oceans are so awesome to us. They're so big. They are awe-inspiring, literally. And water can be something that's very fun. I mean, especially in this area, people, you know, some people have boats and they go skiing and they do all these things, swimming pools. Uh, we, we like our water in the south. It's hot. We jump in. This is fun. But it's also dangerous. Every year people are killed by water, very good swimmers, boating accidents, so on and so forth. Water is necessary to life. It truly is. One of the first descriptions of the Garden of Eden is the different water sources that fed the garden. And how we approach water matters. I mean, if my family goes to the beach, or if we are near a river, or even a stream, or even at Bridge Street where there's water... Uh, and fountains, we are very careful to warn our kids of the water. And yet, we drink water. And yet, we can drown from water. Water is a symbol in the Bible. And we find it all throughout the Scriptures. Now, you know how a symbol works. A symbol represents a reality. So words are symbols, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what makes us different than, than the animals is we actually talk to each other in symbols. I can write something down and, and speak to you this way, text message, whatever. <clears throat> These are symbols. But when I write the term love, that's not love itself. There's a reality behind it that we all sort of understand. But the symbol is not the thing itself. And I say again, water... Water is a symbol. Which means there's a reality behind this thing that we take all of life from. I'm on my third bottle of this today. You heard me hacking away. That's, that's why. Water helps. You can live without food for quite some time, we are told. And we've heard from survivor stories, but not water. It's not going to be long now if you don't have water. Water being a symbol represents and points to a reality within the Bible that God wants to show us about himself. Now, to me, that's just, that's really interesting. Just like we are the image of God. We are not God, but we are the image of God in the world. So too, this thing that we have all partaken of more than likely today already that we will need by the end of the day, that we washed with, that we cleansed with, that we've been baptized into points to something about God that's a reality. And he's saying throughout the Bible, the symbol of this is all around you. 
You see, God's object lessons are the best. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Even those clouds that I like so much when I see the night sky, they're made of water particles. And so the Bible talks in different ways about water wells, right? Fountains, pools of water, springs of water, rivers, oceans, the flood. And without going into a full-blown typological study of water throughout the Bible, which is the type and the archetype, right? So there's the archetype, which is God, and then the types are water, oil. I mean, just on this table alone, we have represented the Lord's Supper symbol. This is a symbol of the Lord's Supper. We have His Word. We now have oil. I just got this in. I'm pretty pumped about it. If you need prayer, let me know. We can anoint you with oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Water. This is always up here. Water. Because these are all symbols of something more. So he's given us an object lesson that is literally practiced in our body every single day more than likely. I mean, if you, like me, start your day with a shower... Water. Now, here's what I want to do. Without going into a full-blown study, I want to bounce around a little bit and take a moment to hit the high points of water throughout the Scriptures. And then I want us to do a little self-inventory and ask ourselves a few key questions, briefly, and then look at the source. Well, speaking of water, it's mentioned in the second verse of the Bible. (laughs) You don't get very far in the Bible until you get the deep waters. And some translations just say, the Spirit hovered over the deep. The term is tehom in Hebrew. But the deep for an ancient Near Eastern mind, which is who it was originally written to, would have understood the deep to mean the oceans. When they meant the deep, they meant those old stories of the pirates who said there's something in the deep. They meant the waters. And even today, I mean, I've been out deep sea fishing twice, and when I got out there, I thought I would like to jump in. I thought, that'd be really cool to jump out when you can't see land anywhere. But once I got out there, I'm kind of like, you know, I think I'll just stay in the boat. I I like... Like, I don't know what's underneath there, really. I know you got some sonar stuff going on, but I really can't see anything. (laughs) And the deep is just a bit scary. And here, second verse of the Bible, God is declaring something to the ancient Near Eastern mind, who would have, of course, had mythological creatures within the sea, right? Well, Percy Jackson action down in the sea. And he's saying, no, no, no. My spirit hovers over the deep to home. It is good and it's beautiful. Second verse of the Bible, water. Well, then of course you know where we're going next. As we push forward to look at the next mountaintop where water is, it's going to be that mankind becomes so evil. 
it's really interesting, the Hebrew, what's happening there. And we really don't, honestly, it's so old. We really don't know what to do with all the words that are there. But what we can eke out is this. The very imagination of mankind was evil and continually evil. Every thought, even what we imagined in our imagination was only evil and was spreading all over the world. And God said, enough of this. I'm going to pull back the evil. I'm going to cleanse the world of evil people. And he sends the flood. Literally baptizes the world with a flood. Of course, one group is saved through the ark. And that group then continues their sinning. But not in the same way. Now, not every imagination, we are told, was evil. There was still evil. There was still sin. But it wasn't to the amount it had gotten. Don't we see this? This is actually a biblical principle. In the Bible, God does this. This is the way he deals with evil. He pulls it back like a, like a ravening beast. Ravenous beast. He pulls it back. He doesn't kill it off yet. But he pulls it back. You say, why don't I just, just kill the thing, man? If he kills the thing, he kills us all. We all go to hell. Didn't we just read? He has allowed everyone to go into disobedience so that he can save everyone. It's a powerful, interesting way to deal with the end. Of course, then Jesus comes, right? And kills off death forever, really. He's already secured the victory. In other words, he ripped the ravenous beast of evil. He ripped the teeth right out. All the enemy can do to us is gnaw on us. Like some beast in the nursing home with no teeth. He can gnaw on us and yell at us and roar at us. But he cannot touch God's elect. That's a good point to say, amen, I like that. Right on, brother, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. If not, just kind of like nod your head like, yeah, right on, man, I got you. Whatever, I don't know. There's a lot of ways to respond, but sitting there is not one of them. (laughs) Not when you say something like that. (laughs) Um, Well, you get the flood, and then, of course, lots of stuff happens. Fast forward now. Now, we're to Moses. You know this one. God is delivering his, his people from Egypt. But one little problem that stands in the way. Well, we forgot about this big body of water. We got out of town. We even stole all their jewelry. God awarded all their jewelry to them. All right, I'm transferring all that wealth to you now. Get out of town. They get out of town and come right up against a body of water. There are no boats. No way across. Except God. And Moses, in faith, says, stand and watch the salvation of God. Now, have you ever come to a body of water in your life that is impossible to cross? There really is no way. Like, seriously, there's no way out of this one. But God, in those moments, we really can. I'm a testimony to it. Stand and see the salvation of God. 
Not me, not Moses, not you, but God. You know the story. The waters part. They walk across on dry land with walls of water on each side of them. (laughs) And this is a baptism into new life for the Israelites. They're leaving Egypt, which Egypt is a symbol all throughout the Bible and the prophets, even in the New Testament, of going back to that old way of life, that old slavery that God delivered you from. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't make alliance with Egypt. If you read Isaiah, he's all over that. Don't make alliance with Egypt. Instead, trust in the Lord. And they enter into new life. But it's desert life, right? But that's not the end because God wants to reveal himself in the desert, which he does on Mount Sinai. And then he pushes them to another body of water. This is a very small body of water. This is the Jordan River. And they're in the Transjordanian area outside of Canaan, which is the promised land, right? It's called the promised land because it was promised to Abraham. He never saw that, realized. Nor did Moses. Moses saw it from afar, but then he had to go die because of his disobedience. He was not allowed to enter the land. You know the story. And they come to this body of water, and they say, no, we're not going to cross it. Now, fast forward again. They do end up crossing it, don't they? It's in Joshua 3. Joshua, now the disciple of Moses, after he's gone, the new leader, he leads them across this body of water. And as they step into the river, it dries up, and they walk across on dry land. Well, then you have stories all throughout, just sprinkled, if you will, all throughout the Bible 2 Kings 5, for instance, one of my, I mean, just a very interesting story. Naaman, you remember this guy? He's, a, he's this high military officer in a pagan military, and he has leprosy. You remember this? And he comes to, who is it, Elijah? Elisha? He comes to Elisha and he says, hey, I, want, I heard you can do some healing, man, in which Elisha did way more miracles than even... Elijah, from what we can tell. And he says, I want you to heal me of this thing. He's okay, just go dip in the Jordan. No, I'm not doing that. That's a dirty, nasty body of water. I'm not doing your filthy little thing. Y'all are filthy down here. We got nice water where we are. We don't have third world water where we are. Y'all got some nasty water. I'm not getting in there. Okay, that's fine. You won't be cleansed. He finally does it, you remember, and he's cleansed. Water. God uses water. Psalm 1, the introductory psalm to the entire book of Psalms. Like a tree planted by water. And then, of course, we come to the prophets. And the first prophet you come to is Isaiah. And Isaiah, I've just, I've been reading through Isaiah. And again, it was actually Justin's suggestion to me. uh, and, And so we're both reading through Isaiah. And I mean, I've read through it already one and a half times within a few days, and it's water's all over the place. Especially this image keeps popping up over and over again. And God says, I want to have a water park in the middle of the desert. That's more than a miracle of Las Vegas. It's more than that. I'm talking about coming from the ground. I want to make a lush garden in 
the desert to show people it was me. It was me. But then you also have the warning of Israel all throughout the text. You've become dry. You've become a wild area of death. And of all kind of night animals that live where you are, this place will never be anything. He actually just said that and went, until the Spirit is poured out. Notice we, even in our language of Christianity, don't we? That person is filled with the Spirit, filled with love. These are water terms. We want to be a church that's pouring out love to the community. That's a water term. Baptized in the Spirit and fire. A life-giving river. And so Amos, you know, 5.8, that's going to be a place where water is seen as a tool of judgment. In other words, he's cleaning house again. And he's going to bring a flood in. Enter the New Testament, right? Enter the New Testament and Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends and the Father speaks. John the Baptist says there's one coming and he's here now who will baptize you not just with water but with what water is pointing to and that's the Holy Spirit and fire. Have you ever stopped just to think this hit me this week I I wanted to leave this whole thing of water you know preached last week on water and fire from a little bit different angle but nonetheless water and fire. It just struck me this week, I'm like, water and fire, they don't go together. Like, we put out fire with water. Not this water. Not this water. This water is the fire of God. And when you're baptized in this, the flame of God dwells deep within. Nourishing our soul. Lighting up our life and the lives of others. There's much to say about water in the Gospel of John. Wow! If you've ever read the Gospel of John, dude is theological. And he's not like the other Synoptic Three, even though they have water as a a forefront. But, you know, you get water turned to wine. Powerful. The woman at where? Starts with a W, ends with an L. Well, right? The woman at the well. I mean, John is all... He's brilliant at taking these Old Testament symbols showing you how Christ is the fulfillment, the source of them. I am the living water, he tells her. Anyone who comes to me will no longer thirst. Are you thirsty? I'm not talking about Gatorade. Are you thirsty in this life for something that satisfies? We put all this stuff into our cup, into our life. We put all this stuff in there, and God has formed this cup. This is our life. We put all this in there, and it just never, we drink from it. Nothing satisfies us under the sun. 
If you want me to summarize the whole book of Ecclesiastes, I can do it with that little statement. Solomon says, look, guys, don't worry about chasing women. Don't worry about filling yourself with alcohol. Don't worry about feasting all the time, eating what is best all the time. Don't worry about leisure or pleasure or business. I've done it all. I've built an entire empire. Don't worry about conquest. Don't worry about victory. Don't wor- I've already drank the cup of all of that and it is empty. I'm still empty. And I think we could add to that dirty and unclean. He became dirty and unclean. And the scripture sadly says of Solomon, the wisest man, we're told, to ever live. Besides, of course, Christ, who is wisdom. It says his heart was turned away from the Lord when he was old. Because he filled his life with everything but the water that Jesus gives, who is the Holy Spirit. We were made to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, what He wants to do in us is He wants to take this vessel, this clay pot. Do you remember the potter's will? He has formed us, hasn't He? And He wants to fill us, but we're dirty. We're filled with other stuff. We've got to pour that out. We've got to get that out. And then, we've got to wash this thing out. This is one of the rare times you'll see me washing dishes. Wash this thing out. When I do wash dishes, I wash them vigorously. No joke. I really do like that. But you wash clean. Right? A clean. But is this... Does God just want from you, from me, just a clean vessel? That's it? No. No, He wants to clean us up so He can do what? Why do you wash your dishes again? So you can eat from them. So you can drink from them. And He wants to fill us up, doesn't He? He wants to take His water, Holy Spirit, and He wants to fill us up, doesn't He? Really, he wants to fill us up to overflowing, doesn't he? Right or wrong? That's the image in the Bible, isn't it? There's a river of life, we're told. In Revelation 22, the last chapter of the entire Bible, we're told there's a river of life that we're all headed toward. Again, water. So, follow this. You've got water in verse 2 of the first chapter of the Bible, and you have water in the last chapter of the Bible, this river of life where the tree of life is, and the spirit and the bride, what are they saying? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And that water can be in us. 
You know one of the best ways to know? You say, you say oh, yeah, that sounds, that's, that's pretty cool, man. That's, that's awesome. Well, it, it, you know, it's not enough in Christianity just to understand things, right? You've got to actually do it. Like if we're talking about the Holy Spirit, receive the Spirit today. Drink from that well. Drink deeply from his well of life, his wellspring that is in any desert. If you think our culture has become a desert for God, I would agree with that. But not the wellspring of the Spirit. And we come today to drink from this wellspring of the Spirit. This is the Spirit's book. He said, I don't really have that kind of kind of joy and, and love and all the things that God has for me. I know I don't have it all. Drink from the well. Jump into the deep end. Go all in. Be submerged in His water. But one of the best ways to know if you are filled with His Spirit is when things get shaken up in your life. Did you catch that reading? I don't know if I don't know if you caught it or not, but I this is just crazy. So it was not this is Joseph. So it was not you who sent me here. I don't know I would have that attitude with my my brother sent me into slavery, threw me in a pit. Just be honest with you. Like I don't really hold grudges. I, I'm just not good at it because I forget about them. I have a buddy that actually reminds me of some grudges I, are, that I should have in college. He actually has, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I guess I should be mad about that. But I just forget. But it's not that I'm super spiritual. I just literally forget about things. This would be something that would be hard, hard to forget, wouldn't it? Your entire life disrupted. You're ripped. You become a slave. Sent to a different foreign country. You know the story of Joseph. He says, it wasn't you who sent me here. But... God, that's hard to say, friends. Think about a life situation where it's tough, where things are not good. Are we willing to say, God sent me here because He wants to see what's going to be poured out? Let me have a youth come up here. Who wants to do it? Tiffany, why don't you come here? I just want you to shake my arm, okay? Oh. Thank you. Make sure I don't get electrocuted. I saw a pastor one time doing a baptism, and he literally was electrocuted and died. Yeah, it wasn't good. So I've always worried about that, having electronics wired to me. But you see what happened here? When somebody shook me and my cup was full which our cup should be full, right? Spiritually speaking. What happened? They shook me and what came out? What was in me? In this case, it was water. What really happens when somebody shakes you up? Do you start fizzing like a Coca-Cola? You know, you know all that kind of stuff. You've seen that happen before. And you try to contain, I know, I know you're, you're good people. You try to contain it and push that down, but it just comes out. Jesus warns us about this, doesn't he? He says, what you put in, it's going to come out. No, there's no way 
to put things into your body and it not come out. So what are we really putting in? See, I mean, just on it, like I said, this is the second part of what we're doing. What are we really filling ourselves with from day to day? If it's a constant diet of Netflix, conversations at work, watching the news, if that's all you're nourishing on, man, if we could see ourselves spiritually, some of us would be so anemic, we can't even get up. So parched, we can't even talk anymore about God. But he's got a, he's got a simple solution to that. Because he's got plenty of water. Just like the story of the woman who had the jar and it just kept pouring. See, he wants to fill us up, pour us out, fill us up, and keep pouring us out. Doesn't he? That's his design for his people. It's why he's made us in the first place. And it's the pattern Jesus sets in his earthly life. He is poured out for many. One of the things that we say at communion, isn't it? Is this is the blood of Christ poured out for you and for many. Are we willing to be shaken up by Jesus using ungodly people? I agree. (laughs) It's tough. Not many amens on that one. When we get shaken up, what really comes out? Only you can answer that question. I've I've never seen most of you, at least, in a a place where somebody really shook you up. But what comes out? Is it forgiveness? Is it love? Is it what came out of Jesus when they murdered him naked on a cross and spat upon him and slapped him and belittled him. No, instead the scripture says what flowed out of him when he was pierced for our transgressions, blood and water. He tells Nicodemus as clear as day, but he tells him at night, you must be born of water and the Spirit. You must be born again. Water brings life. Water brings deliverance. Water brings cleansing for our souls. How I need your cleansing, O oh God, in my soul. Every day, just as I, my hair is so greasy in the morning. It's not, I can't even go outside, I feel like, most of the time. I don't know what it is. It's just my hair type, whatever. Maybe a barber can tell us why that is. But i got to have a shower. Even if I go to cut my grass, sometimes I want a shower. We need cleansing every day of our life. Is, is, is water not a symbol Don't you need water 
every day? Don't we really need God's Spirit every day? God is not just wanting to give you a one-time event at an altar. But every day, all of our life, an altar. Believers, remember your baptism. And be thankful to God that He welcomes us into His family. That He has, as the African-American spiritual says, peace like a river. Love like an ocean. Joy like a fountain deep in my soul. You know, these spirituals were said as they were slaves. Just like Joseph. And they could say this, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of depersonalization, they could cry out to God as they sang these because they didn't even know how to write them down. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. Sing with me on this second verse if you know it. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean in my soul. The third verse, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. Do you? Really? If you don't, you can today. Just ask Him. He will do it. Amen.